I'm going to talk this morning about what happens in our lives when we excuse ourselves and when we justify wrong attitudes. And so we'll get there in a moment, but Zach and Lindsay, it's good to see you guys. And I just encourage everybody, if you haven't met them yet, meet them out at the table. Be a prayer partner, be a giver. They need uh, support to be there, so uh, make sure that you see them after the service. You know, Andy's been preaching a series about being reshaped. And one of the areas that God wants to reshape all of us is in the area of our attitudes. Philippians 2.5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many would say, Yeah, my attitude is just like Jesus. <laughs> so I think what, what we have to look at this morning applies to all of us. Too often, as Christians, we allow negative attitudes to rob us of the victory that Jesus has provided for us to enjoy. Now let me give just one more uh, announcement, kind of an announcement. Robin and I went to see the the film Overcomers. I don't know how many of you have seen that yet. It's a faith-based uh, film that's in the theaters. And it's all about uh, how God changes lives when they change attitudes. And so I would encourage you to uh, take the time while that's still in the theater to go see it. Very, very powerful. And uh, take some Kleenex with you because it's it's a tearjerker, but uh, very good film. encourage you to go. As part of my responsibilities for our Gateway District of Foursquare Churches, I'm sometimes asked to try to resolve issues between individuals and their pastors. Not the most enjoyable thing that I do, but um, I have to do it from time to time. This past January, I was asked by our national church office to contact a man who had emailed them demanding disciplinary actions to be taken against the pastor of one of our churches. And so I phoned that man and later I phoned the pastor as well to get an idea of what the problems were. And I discovered in those phone calls that the individual who had made the complaint was no longer a part of that church that he had left three years previous. And for three years, this man had been harassing the former pastor with angry, bitter, hate-filled phone calls and emails that accused him of all kinds of grievances. Well, after three years of trying to deal with this man's anger, the pastor had established some boundaries to protect himself and his family 
And so he quit, re he quit receiving phone calls from this individual. Uh, he would see the number and just wouldn't answer. He uh, re refused to read any of the emails that came through, that he would just ignore them. Well, when this man found out that he was not even able to express his anger and so forth to the pastor, um, he became more irate than ever. It, that really ticked him off. Well, in my opinion, in talking to both of these individuals, the pastor hadn't done anything that required denominational discipline. He maybe could have used better wisdom in some of the uh, ways that he had handled things, but certainly nothing that required him to be removed from office. But all the complaining individual could see was his side of the issues, that he had been hurt, and that he was not going to be satisfied until the pastor was hurt as well. But what I told him was that I would not be a part of his plot to retaliate and to bring revenge. And he responded, I'm not trying to retaliate. I just want closure. Well, if you can't get closure in three years, I don't know if you ever will. <laughs> but I told this man, closure doesn't come by retaliation and angry words to the other person. And I mean, they... I told him in reading his emails, I felt like I was swimming in a cesspool. I mean, it was, it was bad stuff. And I told him, closure doesn't come through that. Closure can only come by giving your hurt to Jesus and allowing him to empower you to forgive and to put it behind you. Well, here's what the Bible teaches us is the godly response in order to get closure. So it'll be up on the screen. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Pretty plain, isn't it? Not a whole lot left out of uh, to try to guess of what we're supposed to do. He says, get rid of that kind of stuff. Get rid of the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the brawling, the slander, the malice. All the stuff that for three years this guy had just been pouring out, pouring out. But in spite of what that portion says and makes very clear, this man felt totally justified 
retaining all these wrong attitudes. And the scripture here that we've just read says that it grieves the heart of God. See, our human nature has a tremendous capacity to justify wrong attitudes. We tell ourselves we have a right to feel this way. This man felt like he had been mistreated. He was disappointed by people that he had trusted. He, had let, he felt misunderstood. He felt that his value had been depreciated. And it hurt and wounded his emotions. And so feelings of rejection and abandonment flooded his mind and deposited in him a bitterness and revenge in his heart, a mountain of bitterness. And he told himself that the offending pastor deserved his anger. He deserved his wrath. He needed to be accountable for what he had done. And he needed to be punished and hurt just like he had hurt me. Now, when people do things that hurt us, disappoint us, wound our spirits, this portion of Scripture isn't suggesting that the wrongs that we feel aren't accurate or that being hurt is somehow wrong or sinful. What Paul is suggesting is Rather that even though we get hurt from time to time by different things that people do, that we don't have to allow other people's failures to destroy our peace or to define our future. For three years, this man was allowing these things that had happened to define who he was and how he looked at life. The purpose of Paul's instruction is not to let the offender off the hook pretending that nothing happened. Rather, it is to free the offended from the devastation that offenses can can cause. Getting rid of this stuff isn't for the benefit of the person who hurt, hurt us. Getting rid of these emotions and attitudes are for our benefit. And so just like we saw in the video clip about Corey Tim Boom, her feelings about that guard who had caused her so much grief and pain were real. That guard was responsible for some horrendous things, one of which was the death of her sister who was also in that concentration camp with her. Abuse and all kinds of things that that guard had done to those prisoners. So her pain was real. And she wrestled, she said, with the coldness that clutched her heart. You can imagine the coldness that clutched her heart. This man had been so cruel and 
forgiving him was beyond her emotional capacity. But she said she knew she had to do it. And so she surrendered her will to God and she cried out, Jesus, help me. And in in that moment, because she gave God her will, God gave her the power to take the guard's hand and cry out, I forgive you. I forgive you. And she said, she said that the moment she took her his hand, then an electrical current started in her shoulder, flowed down through her arm, into their hands, in a warmth of God's love. And she said, I have never felt the presence and the peace of God so strongly as I felt in that moment. You see, the surrender to God's love and forgiveness freed her from the burden of anger, bitterness, and resentment that she had been carrying for years. You see, as long as we carry the hurt, and justify the wrong attitudes that the offenses have created. It will rob us of God's healing and it actually forfeits the possibility of closure. You see, for Corey Timboom, there was no closure for all the atrocities that had happened in that concentration camp until she gave all the hurt to Jesus and asked him to do through her what she could not do herself. And so this morning the focus of my message is to help us to understand the consequences in our lives when we insist on justifying wrong behavior, wrong attitudes. And so to understand this, we're going to look again at the life of Jonah. And he took us through a series on the life of Jonah through the months of uh, June and July. And uh, in addition to Andy speaking, uh, Derek and Joy both did a great job uh, I was so proud to know that we have young adults who are students of the Word, and uh, they did a tremendous job of, of uh, sharing with us in that, in that uh, series. But you remember from that series that Jonah had been called by God to go to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrians, to preach to them because of the evil and the wickedness in that city. But of course, instead of obeying God, Jonah set sail for Tarshish, which was 2,000 miles the opposite direction. 
He thought that if he just ran the opposite direction, that he could get away from God. He didn't have to deal with the attitudes of his own heart. Now, Jonah felt totally justified in disobeying God because of some offenses that had been that he attributed to the Assyrian people that uh, had taken place. And we're not told in the story what had caused these deep feelings of anger and bitterness toward them. And one of the suggestions from uh, those who spoke during the series was that it was kind of a national patriotism, patriotism for Israel that Jonah had, of course, that he uh, loved Israel and he knew it was God's plan for Israel, that they were his chosen people, and that Assyria was a heathen nation, a heathen people, and that they were Israel's bitter enemy and they were a vicious and oppressive people, and that they had abused and mistreated Israel for, for decades. And so that was perhaps a part of what had caused these deep, bitter feelings in Jonah. But I wonder if there wasn't something more. And, of course, there's nothing in Scripture to tell us, and so I like to just kind of uh, conjecture, well, you know, that's... National patriotism is one thing, but it seems to me that he had a lot more in his heart and mind that caused him to have these kinds of feelings than just uh, patriotism. So I don't know what could have happened to Jonah. Maybe, maybe the Ninevites in the past had killed some of his family as they invaded the country from time to time. Maybe they had confiscated some of his family's possessions. Maybe they had even done something personally to him. I don't, I don't know. But whatever it was... Jonah seems to have been personally hurt by the Assyrians and it filled him with rage and bitterness against them. And so for whatever reason Jonah hated them, he felt totally justified in his feelings. Now, as a pastor, I have been often drawn into the middle of disputes between individuals. Again, not one of my favorite things, but it happens. Whether it would be with husbands and wives, or parents and their children, partners in business relationships, or just simply maybe relationships within the church. But almost always, each party feels totally justified and excusing the attitudes of anger and resentment that they have toward each other. And any attempt to bring reconciliation is usually met with resistance that the offending party has to pay for their hurtful actions. They hurt me and they need to pay. And so apparently that was the case with Jonah. Whatever the Assyrians had done to him and his family in the past, he insisted that they had to pay. He could not and would not let it go. 
And so since Jonah felt his feelings and attitudes were justified, he felt he could ignore God's instructions, that he could ignore God's call, and he could just do what he wanted to do because he was justified in what he felt. Jonah's wrong attitude led him to disobedience. And his disobedience resulted in some miserable consequences. And so there are six common consequences in this story that I see that people face when they insist on justifying their wrong attitudes. The first consequence that justifying wrong attitudes produced for Jonah was a fierce storm. Chapter 1, verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm caused that, uh, arose that the ship threatened to break up. Sometimes God has to allow storms to arise in order to get our attention. When the ship's crew cast lots to see whose fault it was that they were in this fierce storm and they'd thrown off all the cargo and did everything they knew to do to survive it and it looked for sure that the ship was going to break apart. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah that it was his fault. But when they confronted Jonah, he confessed, yes, this storm is my fault. Just throw me overboard and the storm will cease. Now, that at first kind of sounds noble. Yes, it's my fault. Just throw me overboard. You'll survive. But you see, it wasn't because Jonah was sorry for his attitude. Not at all. It was revenge. Jonah knew that by being thrown overboard that he would drown. And if he drowned, the Ninevites would not be warned by God. <laughs> See, Jonah so hated the Assyrians that he would rather die than risk the possibility of God showing them mercy and grace. Jonah wanted them to pay for what they had done, even if it meant it would cost him his life. He refused to let go of his bitterness and his desire for revenge. That's how unreasonable resentment and revenge can be. Kind of stupid, isn't it? Throw me overboard. I'd rather die. At least they'll get theirs. The second thing that justifying wrong attitudes produced in Jonah was an imprisonment in putrid circumstances. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days, and three nights. 
Well, instead of drowning like Jonah was counting on, he was swallowed by a big fish. And for three days and nights, he lived in the belly of that fish. Now, I'm, I'm not much of a fisherman, but the few times that I have fished and actually caught something... You had to cut that fish apart and to see all the innards and all that stuff. Can you imagine living inside the belly of a fish for three days and nights? I mean, it was a fate that was worse than dying. It was unbearable, filthy, smelly, painful. The gastric juices, the other fish that are being decomposed. I mean, it's terrible. And so the first day was horrible. The second day was unbearable. And by the third day, he could stand it no longer. And so he cries out to God in repentance and asking for mercy. I mean, living in the belly of a fish is worse than staying at Motel 6. (laughs) He cried out to God for relief, but notice it did take him three days of the most putrid circumstances imaginable to finally yield to the Lord. That's how stubborn our resentment and revenge can be. You talk to people who are full of anger and resentment and revenge, and it's so stubborn they will not let it go. Future circumstances are sometimes God's method of getting our attention. He uses storms. He uses circumstances that are not very comfortable. Now, God doesn't delight in making us miserable, but his love for us is enough to bring us to an end of ourselves. If he has to use a storm, if he has to use some putrid circumstances, he just keeps working at us, drawing us toward his perspective in his heart. And so when Jonah had come to an end of himself, God commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry ground. Now I've heard sermons where preachers have said, and so the fish vomited Jonah onto the shores of Nineveh. Well, I call that the big burp theory. Nineveh was 600 miles from the shores of the Mediterranean. So he was burped up on the shore of the Mediterranean, 600 miles from Nineveh. And it says that uh, the word of the Lord then came, this is chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh 
and proclaim to it the message I gave you. So this brings us to the third thing that justifying wrong attitudes produced in Jonah. And I call it irritated obedience. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And so while Jonah's experience in the belly of the fish convinced him to go to Nineveh, unfortunately, it didn't convince him to obey God by getting rid of his hateful and revengeful attitudes. It was as if Jonah was saying to God, you can make me go, but you can't make me like it. I won't forget what the Assyrians have done to me. But partial obedience is not obedience at all. Partial obedience is never enough. Jonah was obeying the go to Nineveh part, but he was holding on to his anger, bitterness, and resentment and revenge. The trip from the shores of the Mediterranean to Nineveh, like I say, was about 600 miles, and of course by foot, that would have been at least a month's journey. So I can kind of picture Jonah walking through the hot, blistering desert, griping and complaining the entire way. I don't know why I have to go speak to those people. Lord, I told you how much I despise them. It's not fair. They don't deserve mercy. They deserve to be destroyed. And the longer he walked, the more irritated he became, and the more it rekindled this anger about the whole ordeal. He was obeying God to go, but he was irritated that he had to do so. And what happens when we walk in irritated obedience is that it breeds uninspired ministry. Chapter 3, verse 4 says, On the first day that Jonah arrived there at Nineveh, Jonah started into the city, and he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That was it. That was his message. He didn't encourage them to repent. He didn't talk to them about God and God's love and grace. He simply told them, in 40 days, you're going to be toast. (laughs) I think he was smiling about it. Well, you know the story, amazingly, in spite of Jonah's uninspired ministry, the Ninevites humbled themselves and repented from their corrupt and evil ways. And God said he was relenting of the destruction that he was going to bring against them. So chapter 4, verse 1 says that Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. So the fourth thing that justifying wrong attitudes produced in Jonah 
was an anger at God and a forfeiting of the joy of redemption. Here was one of the greatest revivals that had ever probably taken place in one day. A whole nation repenting and turning to God. And Jonah was mad, greatly displeased and angry. See, God wanted to redeem Nineveh, but Jonah wanted to punish Nineveh. God, uh, Jonah was completely out of touch with the Father's heart, and it robbed him of the joy of what God was doing. And so while Jonah obeyed God to go to Nineveh, he never changed his attitude, and it left him in misery. So Jonah went out on a hillside east of town to watch and to see what was going to happen to to the Ninevites. He was hoping hoping that their repentance would be short-lived because he knew that oftentimes human nature is that way. We repent and not very long we're back into the same evil stuff that we repented of. So he was no doubt counting on the fact that it wouldn't last very long and that destruction was going to come, and I'm going to sit right here and watch it. (laughs) This is going to be good. So he builds a shelter to just sit there and watch. And it says in the Scripture that God provided a vine that grew up over the shelter that Jonah had built, and it provided shade for Jonah while he sat there. And the Bible says that Jonah was very happy and pleased with the shade. He was displeased that God was not going to annihilate the Ninevites, but he was pleased for this weed that grew over his head. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. The fifth thing that justifying wrong attitudes produced in Jonah's life was worms that caused a withering of God's provision. Jonah was more upset and mad at God than ever. Somehow in his twisted thinking, he felt he deserved a little bit of shade. And you can almost hear him say, I didn't want to come here in the first place, but I came. I've endured all kinds of hardship in order to obey what you told me to do, even though I didn't want to be here. I gave Nineveh your message, and now I'm tired and hot in this blazing heat, and all I wanted from you, God, was a little bit of shade. Is that too much to ask? And in verse 9, God says to him, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah says, I sure do. And I'm angry enough to die. 
Now, if I'd been God, I think I would have said to Jonah, well, I can arrange that for you. You want to die? Fine. You think it's hot out here without shade? Let me show you how hot it will be when I send fire from heaven to consume you. Well, that would have been me. But that's not our loving Father. God in his patience and mercy didn't do that. Chapter 4, verse 10 through 11 says, But the Lord said, Jonah, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it nor make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Should I not be concerned about that great city? You see, in Jonah's self-centered anger, his thinking was totally illogical. He cared about a weed, but he didn't care about thousands of people that God loved. Illogical thinking because he was retaining bitterness, hatred, revenge. That's the end of the book. And we're not told how Jonah responded to what God had just said. We're not ever told whatever happened to Jonah after this. And so it's speculation again on my part, but I think it's very possible that Jonah's ability to be used by God came to an end. He's never heard from or mentioned again. Jonah's anger and bitterness had become more important to him than the purposes of God. And so consequence number six that I've listed is that justifying wrong attitudes can eventually make us unusable to the Lord. Well, sadly, that is the plight of many Christians. Because they refuse to let go of their offenses and the wounds that other people have heaped upon them, because they keep holding on to their right to feel this way, eventually it can make them unusable to God. And so the lesson we learn from Jonah is that we will always live in spiritual misery until we stop justifying attitudes that are contrary to the heart of God. We can't afford to hang on to resentments, bitterness, unforgiveness. They will keep eating away at us and consume our thinking until we eventually become unusable. And so God is calling us this morning to let it go, 
to get rid of the unwholesome talk, to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every kind of malice, and to pursue the practice of being kind, compassionate, and forgiving. And we can only do that by choosing to give all of our hurts and all of our woundedness, all of our wounded emotions to the Lord and asking him to empower us to do what we can't do ourselves. And that's what Corey Tim Boom did in the clip that we saw. Facing that guard who had treated her so cruelly, she gave God her will, and God gave her the power to forgive. That's called willpower. You give your will to God, he gives you the power to do what is right. So who are the Ninevites in your life? Who do you find it difficult to forgive? What have people done to you that you have that, that have filled you with resentments and bitterness? Give it to Jesus. Choose to allow the Holy Spirit to lift the weight from off your shoulders and to fill you with his heart and love. Give him your will, and he will give you the power to do what you can't do yourself. When we will do that, like Corey Tim Boom expressed when she surrendered to Christ, not only did he allow her to forgive, but she said that electrical current running down her hand, bringing healing. And the presence of God was so intense and her passion for the heart of God stronger than it had ever been. Now, we usually view these six consequences, or at least five of them, as attacks of Satan. Oh, I'm in storms, and Satan has just been after me. These big fish are chasing me. I'm afraid they're going to swallow me. Well, you read the story again, and every one of those things was orchestrated by God. They were not Satan's attacks. God was trying to get Jonah's attention. But Jonah refused to budge. And so God had to keep pursuing him in different ways. Circumstance after circumstance, God was giving him the opportunity to change, but he was refusing to let it go. Folks, we don't have to remain in anger, bitterness, resentment. You say, well, but you don't understand what's been done to me. I know I don't understand what's been done to you, but... I don't think any of us have probably experienced the kind of things that Corey Tin Boom had experienced in that concentration camp. 
but she gave it to Jesus. And she asked the Lord to enable her to do what she couldn't do herself. So we don't have to remain in anger, bitterness, and resentment. We can give it all to Jesus and become a conduit of his forgiveness and love. Now, many people, when confronted with the fact that they are justifying wrong attitudes, will respond, they, they respond by saying, well, I'm trying, but I'm just not there yet. Well, God wants us to understand that we will never get there by trying. We will not get there out of our own efforts. The only way that we get there is by giving all of our hurt to Jesus and allowing him to fill us with his love and forgiveness. And so this morning, if you want closure from storms, from putrid circumstances, from worms that destroy your joy, Jesus is asking you to lay all the hurt at his feet and allow him to empower you to do what you can't do in your own strength. He's asking you to lay it down. Give it to Jesus. Give God your will. And he'll give you the power to forgive.